When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Friends, welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and him, Robbie Earl. Thank you so much if you are joining us here today. We appreciate your support. Don't forget you can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at the FFW Podcast. And lastly, check out our website, theffwpodcast.com. There's a ton of helpful links on there to merchandise, more merchandise coming soon, a contact form, and links to our previous episodes and videos of some of our interviews. So you might enjoy that, theffwpodcast.com. But today is new for us because we are shifting the way we are going to be covering these films from now on. So last week we did a mailbag episode where we kind of previewed it a little bit. Today, we are going to give you our initial first reactions. Now, full confession, this means that Robbie and I have only seen the movie one time mm-hmm. because we got to see it in a pre-screening experience, which is amazing, but we don't feel fully equipped to totally reflect on the episode until we've seen it a few more times. So we're going to save some of that for the future, but today is just our initial reactions. We just walked out of the theater. Robbie, tell me about your pre-screener experience. Yeah. So it's funny. Every time we've done this, it's been a different theater in Austin, which is kind of fun. Uh, It makes it into this sort of lottery thing of you never know what you're going to get. This time, we're very lucky because we got to go to the IMAX uh, over in Barton Creek, Austin. I know it's it's such a luck of the draw thing. But uh, this time around, Finally, and I'll let you talk about that, uh, they have a Nashville screening. So you were able to go with Annika. I was able to go with Candace, uh, which was also really fun because Candace had read through the Eternals comic with me. Um, If you're curious, that is available over on Friends Remark Plus if you want to hear us kind of go through the Neil Gaiman Eternals comic, which wound up being pulled from a lot more than I expected in this movie. Uh, So we got there... (laughs) It was kind of funny, actually, because uh, we I, I wound up having to leave work late or later than I intended to. So we only we had like an hour to get from my office to the theater and to get some food. And there was a cheesecake factory <laughs> right next oh, that is to the <laughs> delicious, but not quick. At I, all. That that is a, that's a great summation of our experience. Uh, 
I will say, so we, we walk in and we told them, look, like we're not trying to be jerks. We have this hard cutoff time, but it's right by the movie theater. Like it's looking at the movie theater. And so we were like, could we just get like some apps or something really fast so we can just, and then we can always go back and get more food later. And our server was super nice. And she was like, yeah, I totally understand. I think it'll take like 20 minutes. And so we're watching the clock tick by. And of course, it's our showing's at 7. And it's 6.52. And now it's 6.54. And we're like, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. And so the good thing is we had already paid because we didn't want to get into a situation where we couldn't leave. But the funny thing is Candace at one point is just like, okay, we got to go. And... I'm like, it's, you know, it's 6.58 at that point. And I'm oh, like, no. I'm like, yeah. So we just got up and left. You and didn't get any food? We didn't get any food. So <gasps> we get into the movie. We watched the movie, had a great time. And then we're leaving. And I'm like, should we, it's still open. Should we like check back in with the Cheesecake Factory? And so, Unreal. So... We, I didn't know we this. were like, you know, I mean, it, it's not, it was like, you know, 30 bucks worth of food. It's not like the end of the world, but we we're also like, hey, it's 30 bucks worth of food. So yeah. we walk in and they were so apologetic to us. And I was like, no, we're the ones that walked out. Like we came in on this like timetable and then just, you know, I mean, I, we didn't walk out on the check because again, we had already paid, but we were like, we thought that they would be sort of annoyed with us. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to remake it for you and send it with you to go. And, you know, you can like sit over here and we'll get you whatever you want to drink. And it was such a nice, such a oh. nice little Cheesecake Factory experience. That is amazing. It's becoming a tradition, I guess, that we have to show up late to these things at this <laughs> I point. I know. <laughs> Which is not a good thing to be known for, but uh, it's, we do uh, our best. You know, yeah, you, you, it, it's, it's all the drama of it, you know, the last second save. But can I give you one other side note? Yeah. I like the Cheesecake Factory a lot. Typically, a restaurant that has as massive of a menu as they do, oh my that's gosh. not a good thing usually. You know, that's the stereotype that if you make a ton of food, you're probably not great at any one thing. Right. But I don't think that necessarily applies to Cheesecake Factory. I, everything I eat there is really good, I think. And I like the bread. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Hey, they send us home with some bread. With with like oh. a whole loaf of bread and some butter, it was it was a nice the brown bread, the rye bread, I think it is, yeah. whatever it yeah. is. Oh, so good. So uh, so yeah, we had a great mall cheesecake factory movie viewing experience. What was uh, what was your screener like? Way less adventurous than that. We got there <laughs> fifteen minutes early and didn't get a bunch of food. My wife got a Slurpee uh, and nice. some Twizzlers. Oh um, man, I love Twizzlers. It's so fun, though, to be able to bring her. I'm sure you felt the same way with Candace yeah. because both of our wives are really into this stuff. My wife especially, you mm-hmm. know that. A lot of times, the second we walk out of theaters, uh, the phone call is me, Annika, and you. Right. So she was just like a kid in a candy store, you know, getting to getting to go. Um, for those of you who don't know, just because it's kind of interesting, we get a little sheet of all this information of what we can and cannot say ahead of time. Which makes the variety thing all the more crazy, right. by the way. Right, um, Like, no direct plot points can be referenced, anything like that. Um, and it seems pretty intense, you know? It's, like, bolded and italics, and it's red. And um, So, anyways, the only other thing to share on my end is that, one, I was really thankful to actually have one in Nashville. Not mm-hmm. that I don't love flying to Austin, because I love flying to Austin and seeing you, but, you know, the practical right. nature of that. And, uh, secondly, my theater was 
pretty full. It was fuller than we've ever had together, you and I. Yeah. And it was a ton of the comicbook.com staff, oh, including Brandon Davis, if you know who that is. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Who lives here in Nashville, so got a chance to say hi to them. I wonder, is, is a lot of the comicbook.com staff centralized there as well? I always thought That's what Brandon. I'm wondering. Brandon huh. lives here, I know. Right. Um, so maybe that is a thing. I, I know that. Yeah, my, I would say my theater was about what you and I have expected. I mean, we walked in and, and very much, I mean, every, every, almost every row had someone on the row, but it was like everyone was kind of gathered in the center. And then every single time Robbie and I have gone to one of these, when we leave, the process has been different each time, right? Yeah, true. Um, but basically, the studio wants your comments, which is kind of wild. Um, and I wonder if this is where they get some of their, like, advertising taglines, like, spectacular, Robbie Earl, friends from work. Right. Um, one time we had to fill out a comment card. One time it was online. And then this time for me, it was in person to somebody. Like, I had to go through a line and just tell her my thoughts on the movie, and she wrote them all down, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been a really cool but different experience each time. Mine, yeah, mine was a comment card. Uh, although I, I feel like it was a little bit different than normal. Um, like this one was the first time, I think, where they gave you like four quality rating options. Like they were like great, very good, um, you know, fair, bad in, in terms of how they wanted you to rank the movie. Then you listed your favorite scene and then um, some comment, like your, your general comment which I guess is where they would potentially pull a review from. But, um, yeah, it was I, the, the press back at this time was, was fun. Uh, they included some stuff that I, I looked at before the screener and was sort of off the bat, it, it clued me in that the MCU was doing some different things than the kind of mythology that we had outlined in the comics. And that proved to be the case. Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Again, just reiterating... This is unique for us because truly Robbie and I have spoken zero about this. It's all true. the other pre-screeners we had seen together, right? So we talked about it all night mm -hmm. before we recorded. So I have no idea what you felt about this film. This <laughs> and you is, got the same about me. Yeah. And so and again, and this is also the initial reaction. So there's so much stuff with this movie that I feel like I need to process and see again. Um, right. And I can't until it comes out. So I, here we go. I think it's... It's also interesting that, like, something I never thought about as a byproduct of seeing these things early is the fact that Google is not a tool at your disposal anymore. That's so true. <laughs> we never used to think about that. So, obviously, spoiler alert, but you've seen the post credit scenes. Robbie and I are trying to confirm who the voice is, but you walk out of the theater and Google post credit scene voice and nothing comes up. Right. It's like, wait, what? No one, oh, go. Oh, yeah, because they can't say it yet and no one has seen it yet. Right. So we're kind of flying blind here with some of this stuff. And I'm sure that by the time this episode is hitting, there are already like a million like MCU Direct and uh, Screen That's Crush so articles <laughs> like talking Collider. about this. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at this, it is strange because at this moment, it's purely based off of what you can remember from that one, like, three-second clip. Right, and it's over, and then there's nothing you can do. Uh, I'm laughing right now because all of our listeners at this exact moment are more educated than we are hearing That's this. True. Because That's funny. they've already watched it and Googled things, I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, okay, anyways, let's get into it. What was your 
big takeaways. I mean, that's what we should do. Initial reactions. Yeah, yeah. We just walked out. How are you feeling? So, one, I think I was very struck by the visuals in this movie. Um, okay, let's start there. Yeah, I, I think it looked beautiful. I really liked the way that it was kind of different from any other Marvel movie I've seen. I know I said something similar to Shang-Chi, which I think was also true. Uh, this is this is different. But different now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but, and, and even more different, I would say, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the cinematography feels different. It felt like... It does. Like, it felt like an, like an epic, if that makes sense. Like, not... Yep. You know what I mean? Like, not epic movie in that, like, I thought it was so cool and I loved it. Like, it felt like... It felt like I was watching like some sort of like mythological thing being born out in front of me. It almost felt visually like a mix between Arrival and yes, like Arrival's an epic like that, yeah, right? yeah. and uh, and Nomadland kind of. Yeah, I mean, she really emphasizes the rock, you know, in both those movies uh-huh. and the earthy tones. Like it was a lot grayer. Almost. It was the opposite of Guardians in the way that that's saturated and very colorful. Uh-huh. This felt like, yeah, like an epic. Wider shots a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then, and we'll get into this in a second, but she does have some way of veering the visuals into a emotional human connection somehow. Mm-hmm. Like the visuals are tied with that theme. Yeah, I I really, I'm glad you, you talked about the wide shots because that was especially with so many locations and so many time periods being visited by this movie, I feel like uh, a lot of those intro shots were really beautiful. A lot of the shots, like the the wide shots of the group, kind of as they're adding more people to it and going around the world was really cool. And she plays into that too, you know? Like yeah. there's multiple times where she had them pose almost, right? Like the shot was right. them all lined up perfectly. Um which was just, it was very different. In general, the whole movie was very different than anything we had seen so far. Right. And I totally get what you're saying. Shang-Chi was different, right? But it's totally different, different. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and let, let's talk about, because in Shang-Chi, we talked a lot about the choreography and how that was a big difference. Let's talk a little bit about the action in this movie. I thought that the action paired with the visuals still was really, really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like the way Icarus to me, was imagined. And again, I don't know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) The way like Icarus was imagined felt very still earthy and gritty kind of Uh and and not very Superman-y. I don't know if it's because we got to see him actually get pinned down and like try to turn his head and shoot lasers. Right. That kind of stuff I liked. It felt like in balance still. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was probably my favorite visualization of a speedrunner we've ever had. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I thought that the way they visualized each individual Eternal's powers, like mm-hmm. even Athena looked really graceful and like a Greek warrior. That's the vibe right. she had. Um, and then the big guy with the punching, uh, Gilgamesh. Uh-huh. They, I thought they did a good job of making them clearly unique that way, action-wise. That's a great point. And at some point, I want to talk a little bit about the the way that they differentiated everyone's powers and sort of the power levels there, since we talked about that a little bit in our last mailbag episode. You know I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, visually, I, no, I'm totally on the same page. I loved the way, 
like Icarus's powers, especially Makari's powers. But yeah, I, I honestly, as I'm going through all of them, I thought it was all like every like even I, I like the way that they show in Druig's controlling someone, like what's going on with their eyes. Like I just thought each person's was really well imagined, and I just enjoyed. Like I enjoyed the the fight scenes as different as they were, and I know that there are probably people that would say they're maybe too heavy on the CGI and there's not enough hand to hand stuff. But I think when you're going for something on this scale, I was really impressed that a director who you know I've seen like we talked about Nomadland, which is so far from this. I think that she felt very much at home uh, in this world. You know, for like if I if I didn't know anything about Chloe Zhao, I would say that she's someone that has experience here, which maybe makes sense because you know I've read that she's a big fan of like anime, and you can kind of see some of that come through in the way some of this is imagined. But I thought it was it was really graceful. Like everyone's powers in their different ways were really gracefully displayed. Like it, it wasn't like a it wasn't like a, a Winter Soldier or Civil War thing where you almost need to see it be kind of grittier and choppier because that's the nature of the combat you're trying to display. Like I like that we're not in that sort of setting. Like we're not in we're not on like an airport runway or on like right. a battleship. You know, like we're in like the Amazon jungle and we're dealing with these like immortal beings. And I think that it comes off as like a really different, really cool thing. There was not very much shaking camera. Like that that movie, Winter Soldier, is so much shaking camera and like running after somebody yeah. um, with the camera. And this is definitely more a godly, graceful approach to the cinematography, you know, and right. the action. But my favorite part about the film, mm-hmm. transitioning out of that, is, you know, we talked about this in the preview episode about how can she bring in the way she views humanity from Nomadland into this film? Right. And that was the thing that gave us the most comfort and excitement about this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually came through. Yeah. Her depiction of how we need to love humanity and what that can look like. Right. That made a lot of the emotional moments really work for me. Like, I got choked up three or four times, even at some things that I don't think the average person might get that choked up about. Like, when the camera guy was saying goodbye right. and that it's been an honor, right. like, that was moving to me. Yeah. Um, even though I just met him and he's only had, like, 15 lines and they've all been jokes, um, that was really moving to me. Right. I got really moved with some of the deaths, too. Yeah. Which we got to talk about in a second. Right, right. Holy cow. Because you were right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but before we get there, let's just say emotionally how she deals with humanity mm-hmm. was my favorite part of the entire film. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I thought it was it's so such positive. A, yeah, but it was also such a complex story. Like, I I like that, like, with Icarus, which I <laughs> I want to talk about more in a second, but, like, I as much as Icarus was the, ended up turning out to be the bad guy of sorts, I appreciated that she still tried to convey where he's coming from and that ultimately he is the one, he's just doing what they were sent here to do. Like, it's not like he's changed. He's, like, still on track. It's everyone else that's changed, and I think everyone else has changed for the better and is trying to kind of do what they think is ultimately right. But you kind of see how he's wrestling with, 
like, well, this is what we were tasked with. And it's sort of a noble task. Like we're supposed to be bringing life into the universe. It's not like we're here to just like it, we're not going through and murdering these people. It's just a byproduct of, of a celestial being born that this planet has to go. But like, that's the, you know, like a circle of life kind of thing. Like you don't, it's, it's still ultimately, I think we're supposed to get that that's the wrong perspective, but I just, I think that that's an example of her making like Icarus and then even the deviant, like everyone's motivation is it's not black or white. You know what I mean? That's actually really funny. You say that because I had been avoiding our Eternals and Eternal Spoilers Slack (laughs) channel this entire time. Uh Like, so I haven't been on there for weeks and when the movie was finished, I logged on and realized I had like 250 plus threads that right. I had not cut up on. So I was quickly just scrolling through it. And one of the things I think Lance brought up was, man, it's weird that we're not hearing a whole lot about the villain, like a villain hype. And now seeing the movie, what's amazing to me is that's actually another one of my favorite things about this film. And it's a trend that I'm really enjoying in Marvel, which is piggybacking off what you just said, Mm -hmm. there's not really a clear-cut villain. I like these films that instead of saying, hey, here's the bad guy, they say, here's a bunch of people trying to do what they think is right. Right. And there's gray area there. And so you're not really left thinking there's one bad guy. Like, are the deviants the bad guy? Kind of. But you find out that they were also created, and they're just fulfilling the role they were created for. Right. Kind of. Right. Later, you even get a hint of like, Oh, you kind of feel bad for him a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah. And is Erishim a bad guy? We don't really know that the Celestials are bad or good at this point. Yeah, yeah. We know that they create life, but he's not just wiping out planets just to wipe planets out. And even amongst the Eternals, they all kind of have gray area of what's good or bad. And I I, I guess I'm saying I just like that. We've done that in a couple movies now. Right, where like you don't really know who's bad, even kind of in Loki, who's yeah. bad. Well, no, I mean, I was gonna say if you think about it, like you, I mean, I know people argue that Agatha really isn't the villain of WandaVision necessarily, and then you look at Falcon Winter Soldier, where you know you could argue that everyone there has their own kind of complicated motivation. Like I, I don't know that Carly is necessarily a villain, and then yeah, Loki. And then Shang-Chi, I think at the end, like, you know. Right, even that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's gotten more complicated. I think it's the right call in a post-Thanos era, you know? Yeah, Because we spent so many years focusing on this is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So I like that instead of jumping into another bad guy, it's a lot of gray area stuff. So I, I enjoyed that part of it too. Support for Friends From Work is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for their shower time routine by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FRIENDSFROMWORK. Manscaped has a brand new refined body wash that you're going to love the scent of. And you can keep the grooming game going with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside the package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to Hold Your Goodies. 
Manscaped is the only route to go if you're looking into male grooming. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code FRIENDSFROMWORK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FRIENDSFROMWORK at manscaped.com. Another thing that I really enjoyed was I thought it was funnier again than I thought it would be. Like the movie Uh in general, the tone was so bleak. Right. And that was different for Marvel in the gray tones and just how the world's ending and, and, and wrestling with what is my purpose and what am I here for? It's, it was a heavier subject matter and yet they still found ways to be kind of funny and, and, and it worked for me. What did you think? No, I thought Kumail, I had heard that Kumail was really funny in this movie and, I think that that wound up being true. Uh, He cracked me up a lot. I thought Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos was really funny. I I do want to point out we have another dinner scene here. I'm telling you. Another dinner scene. They're adding up. Um, But no, I I agree. I thought in general, like this is what I was telling Candace when we walked out. I thought kind of similar to what you tweeted. The humor hit more than I thought it would. Some of the emotional moments hit harder than I thought they would. For me, I thought that the like the romance between like the the scenes we got the flashbacks with Icarus and Cersei, Candace thought I think some of those were maybe a little over the top. They actually worked for me. Like at the very end, whenever he's trying to decide whether to to basically kill Cersei or not in order to save the Celestial, and he's having all of these flashbacks to their life together. Like that worked for me. Same. And you know we've talked about how other than. I mean, you've got Tony and Pepper and Steve and Peggy, but those have never necessarily been like kind of hot and heavy, really intense romances that we focused on. Right. Well, so yeah. This is sort of a new territory or, or kind of the first time we've had anything like this since like early Thor and Jane, I would say. Right. Um, and I think it worked a lot better than it did there. And just kind of tying up a lot of things we said, in general, the film felt a touch more mature. Yeah. Not just because there was a sex scene, but for sure that too, because we had never really gotten that before in the MCU. But also, you know, how I want things to be a little bit grittier. Right. I appreciated that. There was actually some borderline jump scare parts with Deviants just biting people's heads off. Right. So that part I liked, like I felt the stakes. It was gritty enough, like Black Widow in that way. That was a box that was checked for me. Uh So that felt a little more mature. And then in some of the subject matter we were dealing with it felt more mature like in, in what their purpose is you know right. it's a heavy subject yeah i mean and especially once they find out they're kind of robots anyways now what's my purpose my mind just gets wiped every 5000 years what does it matter yeah um that's a heavy thing to have to sit with if you're a person you know i think i some of this we're we're going to have to come back to in our episode where we kind of dive in more fully cuz a lot of it i i need to see it again and think on because so of I. how intense some of these themes were. But, I mean, it's dealing with – there are so many repercussions and the, the possible messages that you can take away from this. Like, there's clearly commentary on on religion. Um, there are some political messages in there that she's getting out. There's this kind of trade-off that you have of the, you know, the people that could be – like, the you know, this idea of, well, what if we're saving – sort of saving by creating billions of people, you know, but we have to to kill this planet with this much smaller group of, of beings. And, like, it's sort of similar to some of the stuff that we've had explored, like, with the Cap Trading Lives narrative. But I, I just think she was delving into 
much heavier kind of philosophical territory than I think we're used to to wading into. Sure. Um, this is good because I kind of want to get some of this review stuff done first. And then we just need to talk about some of the, oh my gosh moments as far as what do they mean for the MCU, you know? Right. My last two things kind of on the review front for me were the acting. And I want to make one more comment on the humor. Uh huh. One on the humor front. I did think there was just a pinch, not nearly to the level of guardians Two, where Right. There was just a couple jokes. I don't know if I'm crazy that I was like, okay, we're trying a little hard. Most of them landed way more than Guardians 2 for me. Yeah. But it was a little bit of that. And I actually thought in general, it was kind of funny that I could draw a lot of parallels to Guardians 2 in this movie, right? Huh. Like so much of it felt detached from the MCU we know, yeah. which might be a good thing to some people. I could see this movie being divisive for that reason. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Some people I think will love this because it didn't need other superheroes to swing in and save the day. And I think some people will really dislike that part of it because it felt so foreign. Right. So there's a few Guardians 2 parallels for me. But on the acting front, I want to say I thought all of the acting was good. Like I would say if I had to do a scale of 1 to 10 like you did for your comment card, uh-huh. the acting, like everybody lived 7 to 8 which is really good and I'm happy with it. Uh-huh. But I don't know that anyone in particular for me had like an outstanding performance. Like I don't think we had a Elizabeth Olsen here, mm. in my opinion. I wouldn't say we had like a Yelena type performance yeah. here. Yeah, I felt like everybody was kind of good. There were a couple standouts for me in that I actually did, and I know he was doing a lot of humor, but I think whenever he was doing more a couple of times whenever he was getting more serious, I thought Kumail Nanjiani was a standout. Like I thought his timing was really great. I really liked that character. Uh, I liked the way it was written. I liked the way that, I mean, whenever he, he cues the, the Icarus reveal, you know, with I'll follow you to the end, like I always have. And at the very end, whenever he's kind of looking off, thinking of Icarus, like there are just some little moments where we haven't gotten to see a ton of that with Kumail if you do enjoy that side of him, I, I'd recommend the movie The Big Sick, which is super funny and also um, really moving. But I thought he was great. I thought Brian Tyree Henry was great as Fastos. And I actually really, maybe in terms of like just a standout acting performance, I really enjoyed Angelina Jolie's take on Thena here. She was very much in the pocket for me Whereas there were a couple, like, like I'm, I was not really sold on Selma Hayek's take on, on Ajax, which was kind of a bummer. That was, yeah, that was what my wife said exactly. She literally said, was that kind of a bummer? Was Ajax a bummer? I was like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. It was, it was fine. It just, it didn't do a whole lot, you know? Yeah, it, it felt, it just kind of felt, a, not the character necessarily, which sucks, but I feel like more like her take on it just felt a little one dimensional. Yeah. I want to clarify what I said too. Like, cause you just rebutted me saying all the things you love. I liked the acting. I did. I said, in fact, I don't think anybody was bad. That's what I mean. Like there was a positive that too. It oh was no, just for really sure. Good. Well, I was just saying there were some standouts for me. For me, I'm not going to die on that hill though. Like if you told me 
Hephaestus is, is not going to win Best Supporting Actor, I'm not going to be like, oh, no. Right. You know, whereas right. some of the performances I want to highlight when I feel like they should be winning awards. That's what I'm saying. No, To me, yeah. these were all just they – were, they were all good. There was a couple a little better than others. And then, yeah, I thought Selma Hayek was a little bit below that. Yeah. No, I, I think I think that's right. I, yeah, I don't know if there's anyone like you know coming away from from Endgame or, or WandaVision, uh, where there are people that I would like to see get Emmy or, or Academy recognition. I don't know that there's anyone on the acting front here that I would put in that category. The last thing I, I wanted to talk about, sort of on the the review front, I guess, is the way that this movie ties into the Eternals comics. And I'm not going to do a real deep dive here because that's sort of the purpose of us having some time to sit with this stuff and time for me to do a little bit of extra research uh, and then come back and we can we can go through that. But if you saw my review that I put up on Twitter, just my initial reaction, one of the things I said is that watching this movie, you can tell that the team here like really did their homework, like diving through every era of the Eternals comics. And I was really impressed by that. I mean, you see a lot of the stuff from Kirby. You see a lot of the stuff that like Gillis and Simonson introduced. You see more from Gaiman, like I said, than, than I think we were told to expect. Like all the Sprite kind of dealing with whether or not she wants to be an Eternal or grow up, like that's all from Gaiman. And if you're interested in that, we've covered that over in the the comic stuff on Friends from Work Plus. I I think what was funny though um, is on the one hand, I wonder if if they did their homework too much. Like I felt like they were pulling in bits from all of these kind of disparate runs that historically have not always fit that well together. Now I I do think that the movie was fairly coherent. But I also felt like at times I'm like, wow, okay, we're we're introducing the Celestials and the Eternals and the Deviants, which is almost sort of its own thing. But then you're you're dealing with a lot of the kind of interpersonal dynamics that we've been shown throughout the comics within each group. And then you're also dealing with trying to bring in like the Black Knight character that we'll have to talk about some. And and I know that it was, a. I, I think what was crazy to me, and I wrote this on my comic card is, you know, yeah, it's a long movie. And I still feel like given that runtime, they maybe, it's not like a Spider-Man 3 or Amazing Spider-Man 2 level at all, but a little bit of that where I'm like, I wonder if, if, if maybe we cut one of these plot lines, like just because mm. it was, it was a little bit like when you get into all of the kind of reveals and layers of this movie, mm-hmm. it might very well, and I want to set this up, be something that you and I get to go back and revisit, kind mm-hmm. of having the the context. And it, I might change on this point, so I want to leave us room for that, or leave me room for that, because I don't know where you sit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, like, it, it, I, I was really glad to have read all those comics because I was, I was able to see a lot of what they were pulling from. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing I wanted to say, and then I, I want to hear what your thoughts are on on that, was just on the comic front. Again, something that I'm going to have to come back to more concretely later. Initially, 
I want to note how much subversion there is here of comics readers' expectations. Like, almost across the board, what they did is they pulled from familiar things and totally flipped them, which we've always said is really great because, like we talked about in the interview with Douglas Woke, look, we've got the comics. If you want the comics, go read the comics. And so I like that they were doing that. I think this is one of the first times that it left me thinking, though, like at what point oh, have wow. you at what point have you have you subverted so much that you've kind of tied yourself up in knots a little bit? Like and, and and what I mean is this is not coming from a part of me that's like, oh no, I love my eternals and they're changing it. It's not that, because I'm not that connected to the property. It's more I'm like, okay, you're choosing to adapt something. And there are things that make this what it is. Like, and on some level, yes, I want to see you change and play with those and flip them and surprise me. But also, <laughs> at what point is it a different thing entirely, you know, to where that's fine, but are you taking away a lot of what made this thing worth adapting in the first place? I know that sounds really wow. intense, and I'm not saying the movie's like pointless or anything, but like, for example, you have, like, I can go down the list. Like, in the comics, like, Icarus is, like, sort of the head of the team. Like, he's the good guy. And I think it's interesting that they flipped him. I think that was an interesting character turn and made for a complex story. But, like, that's a big, you know, it'd be sort of like having a, a Thor movie where Thor is ultimately the villain. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think we can talk about that as an interesting <laughs> story move, but that is what they did. Cersei is another great example where if you've read the comics all the way back to the Kirby stuff, Cersei is supposed to be the the one character that just doesn't really care. Like, she's the one that's like, And now okay, she cares like, the most. Right, exactly. Like, now she's the center and kind of the heart of the movie, which I thought was really moving in certain ways. But I was also like, I really like that character from the comics. Like, I like the fact that she's the one that's like, hmm. yeah, you guys have this big war going on. I don't really care. I like that, like— she does like the humans in the comics, but it's more like, I just want to like hang out with people and be a part of this world. Like, I don't really care as much about all of your big, like eternal versus deviant stuff. And then like Druig in the comics is sort of the more sinister figure. And they flip that to where he's the one that cares deeply about the humans. You know what I mean? Like you can go down the list and the same thing with like the Eternals and the fact that they're not, from planet Earth, but have been doing all this stuff, whereas, like, what we talked about in the comics, they're really intentionally rooted in the Earth. Like, just ev almost every part of the mythology was was turned on its head here, and I'm, I'm sort of struggling with how I feel about that. Okay. First off, Robbie Rant, TM. I we got to make know, some merch with that. Unbelievable. <laughs> you just gave me eight minutes of straight talking to respond to that I can't even remember what the first part of this conversation was. <laughs> it was so long, I couldn't remember some of it. Um, I picked up on some of the comic things just from working with you on uh, the preview episodes and stuff like that where you brought up some of the storylines. So I was even like, oh, I remember Robbie bringing that up. Or I remember uh -huh. like the even the Thanos shout out at the end. I was like, oh, I didn't even know Thanos was a part of this. And I just, right. you know, I just, I'm laughing to myself because I'm wondering again, is this one of those instances where it's better to be me than you in the situation where like, I don't know anything beyond what you tell me with this stuff, right. but I don't ever leave with those feelings. Anything you right. just said doesn't connect with me because I don't know or care. Like all I know right. is what I'm presented and what I'm presented is that Icarus is kind of the bad guy. And so I kind of don't mind that twist. 
And Cersei is like the human lover, gentle leader that grows into her role. And so it's just funny because I see why you feel that way. And this is the same reason why people felt this way about Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or any of the stuff where there's source material like that, you know? Uh But I just wonder how much good it does to actually do the Eternals reading ahead of time. It might... I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Sometimes it probably really helps you because you can catch a ton of Easter eggs and they follow a story that you really love and it's perfect and it mashes up just like you want it. Right. And then sometimes I wonder if it leads to more conflicted feelings like this. Well, I, I think that maybe answers my question and that that what I'm saying is is not like I, I it's not that I am upset to the extent that they did things differently. I guess my question is you know, it, do you think that all of those dynamics worked really well for you? And, and, yeah, so, and yes, I yeah. think so. That's what's different. That's what I'm saying. I, I do think what's, I, to push back, Candace read the, you know, the game and stuff with me, like I said, and she said multiple times on the way back from the movie how grateful she was that she had read that because she said otherwise she would have felt like very overwhelmed just trying to make sense of it. Well, and let me clarify something. I'm not trying to be the guy that sits up here and says, don't read things. I'm just saying I wonder if there's specific instances where your opinion is colored differently. I'm not right. even wondering that. I know that's the case. No, no, for sure. And so and, sometimes and I think that works out better, and sometimes I think it hurts. That's all I'm saying. But I'm not saying don't ever read stuff, because obviously I love that people get enjoyment out of that, and that's amazing. I'm not— No, I, yeah. Wow, don't hear me being like, don't read comics guy. No, no, no. I, but I think it's just interesting. I, you're right. You're on an interesting point there, which is, you know, to what extent does it— does it enhance and to what extent does it detract? And I think I do want to be very clear. I am not ever going to be bitter when they change things. I think to me, there are just, yeah, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like there are ways to subvert expectations and then there are points at which you've, you've twisted something so much that I wonder if it's almost just a, like it's, Barely recognizable. Going through Spider-Man with you has been really helpful on the Friends from Work Plus side, just because that's another funny one for me, where it's like, I only know what I'm presented on screen. And there's all these little things that comic book people are like, that's not this, that's not this. And there's been some of those things that you've educated me on that I go, oh, that makes sense. Like, I I see now why Peter does need an Uncle Ben to feel that weight, right? And it's the same deal kind of here there's things that I get educated on that I can see both sides of. But in this case, I just knew very little about it in general, and I felt like most of that worked. I want to transition to this, though, because if that was your big question mark, uh-huh. you you know what my big question mark is, right? Like, right. We haven't talked about this. It's amazing, but you probably could literally tell me what I'm about to say, I bet. Um, <laughs> my wife on the way home, we were in the car, and she says, I feel a little bit like... Uh, Padme in Star Wars when she says to Anakin, you're going down a path I can't follow. Uh, And (laughs) I thought that was so funny because that's a little bit what the Sconewell house feels like sometimes. Um, Mm. I liked the movie a lot. Sounds like maybe I liked it as much as you or maybe more than you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I still really enjoyed it as like a standalone thing. Like I was so struggling with the commenter afterwards because I was thinking, I even said this to her in the review. If you're asking me to review this as a standalone film, I thought it did a really good job. Like, it's an entertaining, well-directed, well-acted, good visual movie. 
I just am always struggling with if they're going down a path that I can't emotionally follow, which is how does this all fit with the characters I know? And I understand how you can still go back and forth with grounded stories and galactic stories. And you can do that. You've told me that. I get that. But there's just a part of me and a part of my wife that when you see a celestial show up to Earth and suck people out of Earth, if it just makes what Falcon is doing feel so small, it just feels so like it doesn't matter when there's literally a a, a celestial that's destroying the planet, uh, not in a negative way, but because he's being birthed. <laughs> I just have a hard time reconciling those things. And I, I would argue, for everyone who hates me for saying that, it's not that I don't want different. I think it's fair to say they're going down a very different path than they used to, and I just don't know if that's me being an old man that's like, I don't know if this is where I would have gone. And I, I felt that way a little bit with the multiverse stuff. We've talked about that you know, in depth. And now I'm feeling this, this way a little bit with some of the galactic stuff. And I'm even hmm. thinking, okay, I was getting bought into the multiverse stuff. Now, how does this fit in the multiverse stuff? Like right. now, this almost conflicts with the multiverse, which was conflicting with the grounded, in my opinion. Right. So, again, I just want to reiterate that I can't fake my passion. And when we started this podcast, it was because I was so passionate about the Infinity Saga. Right. And Tony and Steve and Thor and the Guardians and Thanos, and Killmonger, and Vulture, and Hela, and that's what I was so obsessed with. And ultimately, the Infinity Stones, I just wonder if this is going a route that I am not as obsessed with. That's all I'm trying to say. It sounds like I'm a horrible human being for saying that, but... <laughs> well, I mean, look, the, the story that you were really initially really into has been told. You know, so I think that that's fair. I will also add, though, I am as into Far From Home and WandaVision. I know, so I know, yeah. It's not just a post-Endgame thing. But the difference was those stories were still kind of reflecting on. They weren't dealing with Celestials. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're characters that had been introduced to, like, and, and characters right? that you had cared about as part of the Infinity Saga. Whereas, like, I don't think you ever were huge into Bucky or Sam, right? even prior to Falcon True. Winter Soldier. True, but then I'm doing self-reflection on all this, right? Just like you are. Then I'm thinking, okay, is it a new character thing? No, because I really am pumped to see Shang-Chi. In fact, I thought there was about to be a Shang-Chi reference in Eternals. I thought that too, yeah. So, I, I don't know. But I really I liked it. I really liked it. I did. I really did. To, to me, I, I, I just want to, because I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I know you and I have talked about it. I've had those same feelings before. The reason why the little stuff still matters to me. Like the reason why what's going on in Falcon Winter Soldier or what's going on in Westview still matters, even though there are like these global crises is because the relationships are still affected, right? Like the people are still affected. Like if you're looking at it in terms of like global stakes all the time, then yeah, it's it's hard. It's the same way that it's kind of hard to jump from Avengers to Iron Man 3 you know, where you're going from the world being evaded to, like, is the president going to be assassinated? But I think that if you look at it in terms of how this is impacting Tony and Pepper, or if you look at it in terms of how what happened in Falcon Winter Soldier impacted Sam as a man and Bucky as someone that's trying to get over this trauma, that's why it matters to me. It doesn't necessarily have to matter in terms of its impact globally. Or universally. Sure. But, okay, so you, so then I guess I'm just wrong. You you walk out of the theater and go, slam dunk, this is the direction, love it. That's what you do? 
Because uh, if you do, then... Because I, I want you to one time say a negative thing about it one time, because you never will. If, like, if, like, do you feel that way or not? If you don't, then I guess we're just different. Peter, do you love me or not? Do you love um, me or not? No, I do not. <laughs> I don't. Um, I, no, I... I, I uh, Okay, well, those are separate things. I, I, I was just wanting to push back on the like big scale versus small scale thing because that's not an issue for me. Okay. I do agree with you. When, like one thing I was telling Candace, and this kind of goes into the comic stuff a bit as, as well, maybe. But they are like what's so interesting about Eternals in general is I think if you asked anyone from me to Douglas Woke to the guy that works at the comic book store here, like people that have read comics. I think a lot of people kind of raised their eyebrows when they announced the Eternals as one of the the first big post Endgame properties, right? Because it's like, about. right? It's yeah, so different. It, it's so different, but it's also like, huh? Seems like there's a a lot of other stuff that could be that could be mined. And on the one hand, you're like. Well, that's great. You know, that's what we love about Marvel, that they're, you know, they did that with Guardians. They pulled Guardians out at a time where they could have pulled out any number of other things. And what a home run it was, you know. And and arguably, Iron Man at the very beginning was that. You know, I've been reading through this history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe book, and and you see how much the DNA of Marvel Studios is is let's do the unexpected thing. Let's take the underdog property and make it into a, a mega hit. Let's make let's make someone like, you know, Rocket Raccoon become a global household name, and and so I love that they that they go for it. I think this, to answer your question, this particular movie is one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I like that once they decide to take Eternals. I, I think I like that they're using this as a way to expand the cosmic mythology more than I even would have thought. Like, I like that route. Um, I like that we're learning about the Celestials. I, I'm actually down for the kind of trippy sci-fi stuff there. I think the bridge too far for me in terms of, like, going down a path I can't follow is maybe the the Black Knight stuff with Kit Harrington, and that's something we haven't talked Post about yet. Um, well, the post credit scene, but also just his inclusion in this movie in general. Like, I was oh, telling okay. Candace on the way home, I'm like, okay. You know, because Candace is not a huge Civil War fan, and I just rewatched Civil War recently, and so it's fresh in my mind, and so I'm always kind of having to sell her on it. But we were riding home, and I'm like, I know you don't love this movie, but can we, can we agree that with not much screen time, ultimately, you come away from that movie wanting to know more about Tom Holland's Peter Parker, wanting to spend way more time with Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa, who, you know, admittedly had a bigger role in that movie, but still characters that were introduced and were not necessarily the main characters of the movie. But you come away being like, oh, interesting how they fit into this story. I want to see their own story. Like, I, I felt a little bit like in trying to mine through the really obscure stuff, and I'm just going to say Black Knight is very obscure. Like, like I'm familiar with some of the comics and if someone wants to push back and say he's not, that's fair. But I'm just saying in terms of the, the characters that have really impacted the overall narrative of the, right. 
Marvel Comics universe, the Black Knight is not high up there. Um, I don't even think the Black Knight has necessarily had very, uh, not at least not a significant run that he was titling. Like he's almost always appeared as a supporting cast member in other titles. And in this movie, the way that they brought in Kit Harrington just did not make sense to me because you don't get, like you get a little bit of foreshadowing whenever Athena is holding the blade and they're like, oh, is that the ebony blade? No, it's this is Excalibur. And then at the end, you do see the ebony blade. So there's a little bit of connective tissue there. And then obviously Kit Harrington is there at the very beginning with Cersei. And then there's the FaceTime call. And then at the end, but then whenever he's suddenly like, oh, well, now I have to tell you about my kind of complicated family history. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. And I knew that Kit Harrington was supposed to play Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. So I came into that. It's not like I was, but I was like, even knowing that and even looking for that all the way through, I'm like, this feels like such a left turn. So like, is that just supposed to be a full on coincidence that like this, this random human that Cersei fell in love with also happens to be the Black Knight and like the heir to this power and this, this mantle? Cause that's how I, unless it's explained somewhere that for whatever reason, they're like special superpower entity energy, like drew them to each other. But I, well, I know that's not the well, exact question you were you were asking. Right, but that's right. one of the like I say that because I I just I dis like I am okay with this with this route. Like okay. I think it's fun. I don't think it's going to be like what I said last time. This is okay. not going to be the primary vehicle of the MCU. I don't think. Right. I right. think it's going to be a fun part that I enjoy. Like I like seeing arrows introduced. I think it's going to be a fun new world within this kind of expanding universe. Right. But there are elements of that that I feel like what you're saying with, where I'm like, I don't know that I need, like I told Candace, like the, the Black Knight mythology explored. Like, I don't know that I need to start going into more of the mystical, like warrior stuff, because there's a lot of other stuff that I think could be mined that I think is much more interesting. Okay. On the Kit Harrington front, I'll just say, again, I didn't even know Black Knight was a character. So I didn't know he had any history. And I agree with you still 100% that I really liked him when I didn't know that as just the boyfriend, kind of like uh, Jane's boyfriend in Thor 2. Right, um, right. I kind of liked that. And then at the very end when he's like, and I got to tell you something, then I was like, okay, really? Like, I liked you mm -hmm. as just the guy. What would you possibly have to tell her? Um, so I'm with you. It felt a little left turn even without knowing the backstory. Right. Um, on a positive side to what I just said about, I don't know if this is the the direction <laughs> and my wife, I love you, but I don't know if I can follow, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> um, I wouldn't go that far. My heart's not broken. Um, I actually think that, you know, cause going into this, I was really nervous about how they were going to handle the power levels. And I was actually very satisfied. I don't think that they did anything that felt unapproachable. I think that's why I felt less nervous about this movie than some of the mm. other things. Like even with the multiverse, when it first got opened, I was like, oh no, what does that even mean? Right. I think I was less nervous about this afterwards. I maybe painted it wrong <laughs> with what I just said. But like, for example, I don't think that they showed that any of the Eternals are invulnerable. Like for example, two of them died. Right. And 
we talked about that ahead of time. Will they die? In the comics, no. Well, I was like, maybe in the MCU they will to make it different. They did. Secondly, Icarus is super strong, but we see him get a little bit handled by the Deviants and the other Eternals can tie him down for a good chunk of the last fight. Right. And Cersei doesn't have the combat powers, but has a different power that could still put the Celestial to sleep. Right. So like even the Celestial, which is all powerful, as we're told, still is vulnerable enough, right, to just an average Eternal. And I don't think the Eternal felt so out of place that if like Captain Marvel or Thor showed up in the last fight, I totally believe they could have hung, right? Like meaning like, I think if Thor had showed up, he still could have beaten those people. Same with Captain Marvel. Which side note, I I loved the the Kingo Thor comment where he used to follow me around when he was a kid. Now he's an Avenger, doesn't return my calls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what I mean though? So right. like nothing fell out of whack. If Captain Marvel showed up and had stopped the whole fight, I would have been like, oh, that's believable. And yet her stopping the Celestial was also still believable to me. So I actually think that's something they handled right. well with a territory that could have been handled really poorly, in my opinion. Okay, so that's that's one thing that I totally agree on. And and by the way, I, I you know, I know I ranted some. I, I hope people don't think that I came away disliking this movie because I really enjoyed it. No and one ever thinks that. They think you like it and I dislike <laughs> it. That's what they always think. Uh, that's not I I don't know. I mean, I did just I ranted hard against Black Knight there, but I I did think that one one big change they made, and I know I ranted about this, but one change they made that I liked from the comics, whenever Kirby first introduced these characters, you could tell he was kind of making it up as he went, which meant it was the opposite of what Kyle wants. Like, no power levels established, no rules to people's powers established. So, like, everyone initially could fly. Everyone was initially invulnerable, just as a starting point. That's your base. (laughs) (laughs) Then Then they could do something else. (laughs) Right, exactly. Then they each have their own kind of abilities, and Cersei's was just limitless. I mean, she could literally turn anything into anything, which means she is, like, all-powerful. And so I really like the way that this movie, one, only Icarus could fly. I like that. It kind of makes his name make sense, and they took away... They, like, they make him more unique. Um, in the comics, initially, other people could use the vision, like laser vision thing, and then that becomes just an Icarus thing in the comics. I like that that was the case here. But then I also like that, like, Cersei's powers have limitations. I like that even, like, Druig's powers have limitations. I like that they're not invincible, but instead Ajax is a healer and can, can, like, that's the way that they're always recovering is she can just repair them after battles and so the fact that she dies now right. raises the stakes. They made like, him I, not invincible, and they gave him different feeling powers to where they were distinguishable. Yeah, and and powers generally that are not insurmountable, like right, what you said. Right, right. Like, yeah, so I re- I thought that was done really well. And uh, so the other I. part of that, for us being introduced to so many new characters— I thought that the movie did that very well. Like I cared. One thing that I was reading in reviews is that, you know, you'll come if you like the movie. And obviously this is one of the more divisive ones so far. But if you liked it, you're going to come away feeling connected to a lot of different characters. And I felt that way. Like I, I, I felt like I really was invested in a lot of these character stories. Well, and another thing they did to actually ease my concerns was at the end of the movie, they pulled the Eternals back off. Right. They're gone. 
So right. like that's a kind of another way to like bring it back down to balancing it with the things I know is that they're removed from the equation at the current moment. Right. Um, so I think they were kind of conscious of that. And again, a huge plus this movie was the way those power levels showed themselves in the fight felt so fun where every character felt like they could contribute something. It was something different though. So you never got confused. And like, yeah. you didn't have that one character like hedgehog guy from X-Men where it's like, oh, that sucks that that was your power that you got. Right. All you can do is grow <laughs> spikes out of your back and hug people. Um, right. It's like everyone had like a strength that was totally believable and yet usable and distinguishable in the fighting. So that right. stuff got me really excited that's why it was fun like especially in babylon to see them all fighting the deviants in their different ways and by the way the time travel stuff through ancient history was really fun for me um i'm a history guy and so it's kind yeah. of fun to see the hanging gardens of babylon and but specifically the power levels and the fighting that was a huge win for me one more positive one more negative before we get into a few questions i had um the positive front is not only was traveling through history kind of fun i thought it was kind of fun that they basically said, here's how the Eternals influenced famous moments, right? right? And like with the steam engine and the plow and those jokes, right? But the knife um, helping Babylon grow to the largest city on the world. Right. But also, I just love whenever a movie has this much love for humanity and like that humans are worth dying for and humans are worth changing what our protocol is more than another planet. And- right. I love the positivity there. That's the one thing that makes me sit so comfortably with Eternals is that, yeah, they're not at all out to take over planets. So I'm never afraid that their power levels are going to get out of whack because that's not their vibe. In fact, their vibe right. is just to not jump in except for when protecting humans, which I think is amazing for what I like. Right. No, I, I agree. And I do think I, I, it's going to be really interesting having all the Eternals either with Arisham now, I guess, or out with Eros, you know, on their their yeah. mission, uh, because that does answer one of the questions I had, which was, you know, given that they are sort of rejecting their mission from the Celestials, are they now going to just be Earthbound superheroes that are just going to kind of show up whenever there's a disaster? And I, you know, it's interesting mm -hmm. that. I don't think there are any Eternals left on the board, right? Weren't they well, and, all? And maybe, and maybe they won't even be allowed to come back to Earth when there's a disaster anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, like, I I have to think that the Dane-Whitman-Cersei connection will be followed up on. By the way, another example of those things is, like, I like the joke about Icarus being a story that Sprite made up in, oh, in Legend. Right. And that Athena, right. right, like, that's where they get that goddess of war thing from in right. ancient Greece. That kind of stuff was cool to me. Um, and I like the little Avengers shout-outs, too. Not just the Thor one, but the the Tony and the Steve one and right. a couple other things like that. Um, anyways, my last negative thing, in my original tweet, I said that the plot was kind of convoluted. And you and I talked about that, how much it's trying to do. I wonder if this movie would have actually been served better as a Disney Plus show, which is insane because I've said the opposite already. Um, huh. I love the big spectacle of it. So if they were able to keep that but just give me more time with these characters, I think we could have gotten into a few more things here more naturally. Like, for example, my wife brought up how, you know, Druid 
in 1500 or whatever is the one that is ultimately like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm saving humans, whether you like it or not. We could influence it and save them, right? Right. But then the next time we see him, he's using all the humans to shoot the deviants and the humans are dying. And Cersei is the one that's like, you have to stop this. And kind of just in an offhanded comment, he says like, oh yeah, I just kind of decided to not take over all of humans. And (laughs) that's like a part of the plot where I'm like, that could have been explored a lot more. That's what I meant by convoluted. Like I didn't get a lot with that. Like I didn't see him really struggle after that moment. In fact, he's actually putting humans in danger now. You could see a world in which this were like a lost style show where it's like each episode you get backstory on one of these Eternals. Right. And I thought Athena or Athena was really, really cool uh, in her fighting. And I thought Angelina Jolie did a good job acting it. But like the whole mind control thing where she goes crazy was not explored very well. Yeah. I understand that they're kind of saying that like she had the past memories. It's not that her memories didn't get fully wiped, right? She has like triggering flashbacks. Uh huh. But then my wife said, but then why does that cause her to go ape on all the other Eternals? Like, I understand why she's traumatized about how everyone's going to die. That makes sense. But why is she killing everybody? Right. Yeah. There was just stuff like that where <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is all thrown into one movie and not all of it makes sense. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I meant earlier. I liked, I liked almost everything I got for what it was. But there was just like, I, I think that this, I think in a couple ways, this movie could have benefited from another round of, of editing. A lot of reviewers said it was bloated and too long. I didn't feel that, but maybe this is what they meant by bloated. I didn't think it was too long, but yeah, yeah, no, a lot I, of people I, have commented on that. Yeah, I was fine with the length itself, um, although I will say it took me a bit to get into. Like, like it, it, it took me a bit to kind of click with some of the characters. Like the first scenes in London, I, I wasn't totally bought in. Not because it was too slow, but just like I, I just it felt like it was trying to find its footing for me personally. And then once the team starts coming back together and like actually really around the time that Kingo comes in is whenever I started to really click with it. But the length in general was fine. Okay. I just thought like it's the only thing I've ever wrestled with you on, on Civil War about is like if I've ever gone – if I've ever had a critique of Civil War, it was that it, the the plot, like Zemo's plan, just seems to be, like, really complex. And then you're also bringing in these other characters. But having rewatched that recently, it may be because I am so familiar with it now. I'm like, yeah, same length, ton going on, but I think it all is dealt with really well. And Well, and I think that's the caveat we have to add here again. I can't wait to see this movie again because, one, I want to see it in IMAX, but, two, right. I'm sure some of this stuff will get cleared up when I see it again. Well, and and that's one of the things where I think we just have to remind people as they are probably going to be quick to jump on the, on the slack or on socials and correct us where we've gotten things wrong. You have the benefit of Google. We don't have the benefit of Google. <laughs> I, I said to Annika, it's kind of like Tenet, and Christopher Nolan's my favorite director, but... I love stories that have really complex plots. I think that's why I'm more okay with Civil War than you. I love that. And I love movies that make you think. Those are my favorite kind of movies. That's why Inception is my favorite movie. I love that stuff. But there's a line there where I I turned to Annika and Tenet and I said, like, I don't even understand what's going on. So I can't appreciate the twists because I'm so 
out of the story because I can't, it's too much confusion. And then after like six watches and like reads of the plot, I get it. And now it's all really cool and it makes sense. But I think that's a flaw of a movie if there ever is a moment that's supposed to hit and I'm not understanding it. Because I'm an educated viewer. I'm as into this as possible. And if I can't pick it up, what does that tell you for the person who's casually watching? And there was just a couple times where in this movie, I, I leaned over and I was like, so why is Thena attacking everybody? Like, did they explain that better? Did I miss that? And again, this is one watch. But you know what I'm saying? If, it, right. if the movie makes me do that, then that's a knock on it a little bit. Right. No, I think I think that's fair. And I do think, like, sometimes there's this, I, I don't know. I, I see it. I, there are issues on both sides of that where I feel like sometimes people are too lazy to want to dig into things. And I don't think that's the case yep. here. Uh, nope. But I think sometimes, like, the Nolan critiques that frustrate me are people just not caring, and then they, like, use their own apathy as a dig at the movie, which I, I just don't, like, if you don't care about the movie, that's fine, but don't say that the movie doesn't make sense just because you don't, you didn't pay attention. But on the flip side, I also think that sometimes that's a fair critique. If, like, if you are, if you're zoned well, we in are and you're attention. there for it. Yeah, exactly, and it's not all... Checking out. I don't think it's because you're not educated enough or attentive enough. Like, I think sometimes it is the movies. It's our responsibility, I think, to be active viewers. Like, I think the movie deserves that much. Like, the filmmakers deserve that from us. But I, at the same time, think that the filmmakers owe a bit of clarity um, to the viewers. You know, like, that if you're telling a story, there needs to be some sense of a, of a clear through line. And and I do think Eternals. I, I don't want to come me too, away. Me too. You know, it's no, not too. like it was like a muddled mess by any means. No, but it, I do think that there were some things that, like again, I, I just think the movie would have been better off being a little bit trimmed. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I really, really liked it. I thought it was visually stunning. The emotional moments really hit. I choked up a few times, and it was just fun to view it in a theater. I love going to the theaters, Robbie. I really do, Um, especially when it's an event like this with my wife. Super, super, super fun. We can reflect on this and rank this in a couple weeks, I think, when we finally have more time to sit with it. But in general, it was a very positive experience for me. On the where are we going front here, with some of the questions. First of all, I now know that the spoiler was that Harry Styles was in it, which is kind of funny because right. it's not that major of a spoiler because it's literally the like credit scene that he right. shows up for a second. But I am excited about that because I like Harry Styles and a few other things. <laughs> so uh-huh. count me as one that's on board with that decision. I think the bigger spoiler, by the way, was that it wasn't just that it was Harry Styles, but it was reported who Harry Styles was playing. Okay. So Which, it was educate me a little more. That's what I was going to say. Like, where are we going with the Eternals? They get zapped off Earth by the Celestial. The Celestial says a line that says, like, um, he'll go through your memories and then he'll decide if he's going to judge Earth. Is that correct? Is that the line I heard? 
I think so, yeah. And that reflects the earliest, earliest Kirby interpretation of Eternals, which was the Celestials come back and they're going to basically decide whether humanity is worthy of being saved and, and being allowed to exist or whether they're going to destroy all of them. And, and again, you and I don't have Google right now and I can't rewatch it right now. So I'm just going off one muddled line from a celestial voice. I think he says that's what he's going to do. So that's kind of a cliffhanger. Then right. Harry Styles shows up. Tell me more about his character. And then the second post credit scene, whose voice was that? That's yeah. what we got to talk about. Yeah. So the Harry Styles character is really interesting because he, so in the comics, he is the brother of Thanos. He was an Avenger for quite a while um, in the, in the seventies and eighties. Uh, and then at one point, I don't, he wasn't initially conceived of as, as an eternal, but whenever they were doing all of their sort of backstory cleanup and interweaving the eternals with the Thanos mythology, he was always Thanos's brother. So that was sort of part of making it now. Okay. Eros is an eternal. Eros's father was an eternal. Thanos is, you know, an eternal with his own stuff going on. <laughs> um, and so in the comics, Eros is basically, he shows up in a lot of Thanos-driven stories. Uh, he is sort of the opposite of Thanos and that whereas Thanos is super strong and very violent, um, Eros is like handsome and slender and charming. And so his power is not brute strength, but in kind of manipulation. And so it, it makes for kind of a fun Foil. I think what's what's really interesting, though, the way he was introduced, and also the fact that Pip the Troll was introduced alongside him. We now have between Pip and Eros and Adam Warlock, who's now appearing in Guardians Three. We're now getting a lot of the players that are traditionally associated with the big Thanos stories in the comics. But no Thanos. And I'm really trying to figure out where we're going with that because like like the original Infinity Gauntlet story, Pip and Eros and Adam Warlock are all pretty heavily involved in. And so I'm like, are we heading towards an adaptation of some of these cosmic stories involving Thanos, but minus Thanos? Is this previewing some kind of Thanos return or... You know, is this just, again, like what they did with Eternals, Marvel saying, you know, look. It's not that. I I mean, I, I think, yeah, I don't I don't think that I'm accept, expecting Thanos to come back. What's interesting is they can obviously do whatever they want story-wise, but it's just, I, I guess, to go back to my point earlier, there's a, you know, as I'm looking at the relevance of a character like Pip or, or a character like Adam Warlock, um... Or Eros, you know, who have always been in some ways defined by their relationship with Thanos. It leaves me with really no idea what those characters will look like when they're now kind of grafted into the into the MCU. In the second post-cred scene, we get the Kid Harrington Black Knight thing, and you hear a voice. And again, we've only heard this one time. My wife says she is 100% sure, throw her in a dumpster, cover her in chicken guts <laughs> if she's wrong, that that it's, inside jokes, that it's uh, Jeffrey Wright, the watcher. 
I could hear, like it was a voice that I recognized. Yeah. But that's a huge detail. If it is the watcher, that's a massive turn of events. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I can't confirm if it is or not. Help. I, I no, I'm on the I'm on the same page with you. And I'm sure again by the time this episode is out, we probably know. But I think right now, if I had to guess, I think I would say Jeffrey Wright too. Like I was thinking through all the all the voices that it sounded familiar to, and I think if anything, it sounded, it didn't sound like Jeffrey. I think the thing that maybe would have thrown me off is I don't recall it sounding like the watcher, but I almost hear like James Bond, Jeffrey, right? Like the, the character he plays in those movies where it's like, <laughs> it felt a little, it just didn't feel so like distant and omnipotent, uh, as like the, the watcher normally sounds. It sounded well, they probably didn't affect it the same way, but Greg would be happy because he's finally getting a live action washer shout out, apparently. Maybe, I mean, maybe, um, who knows? Maybe, but if it was actually him, that would be understandable that he doesn't have all the verb and the booming, all knowing voice. If maybe he's just right there, but well, that would mean crazy things of like, so there's a watcher in the real live action world, too. And who's instructing him then to not interfere? Like, I know it's different in the comics, but are they going to tie that in? If it's the case, if it is the Watcher, are they going to tie in the Watcher with the Celestials and the Internals then? Yeah, I mean, it would. I, I could see that making sense. I think what would be interesting there is he is now interfering, right? By telling Cor- correct. Dane, like, what not to do. Well, and, and the Eternals interfered too, so... Yeah. Those rules, as Pirates of the Caribbean said, more like guidelines, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just want to to note that there's so much more we can talk about here, and that's why we're having we're gonna have several more Eternals episodes. We're gonna break down any questions that y'all have post Eternals. That's what we're gonna, we're gonna start doing, which is really fun, like a pre movie mailbag, a post movie mailbag, and then we're also going to come back and look at this after we've gotten to see it at least one more time and rank it and kind of do all that fun stuff. But I mean, there's, there's so much like I, 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 there's not time to get into it now, but like this pulled from, from all over the place comics wise. And even I think the Jason Aaron recent Avengers run, which I'm not a huge fan of and did not expect to influence it. But like, that's where you get like the frozen celestial head Image. So there's like a lot of stuff that we're gonna. Is have that gonna to dig be into. just sitting around too? Well, in the in the comics currently, the Avengers are headquartered in the frozen corpse of a dead celestial. <laughs> Whoa! You know, you know. By the way, real quick, I know you're wrapping it up. I'm so sorry. It's not that foreign to the MCU though, because of Guardians. Nowhere is the severed head of an ancient celestial, and it makes sense now, kind of seeing this right. that it's like the same size. And that there would be the remnants of this stuff. I partially expected the celestial when frozen to like go back into the earth. <laughs> like Hanukkah was like, think about the climate damage now that this thing is growing out of the earth and it's just there. Right. Um, but I was thinking like, do the Avengers now know about this? Like, well, like will Bruce Banner be like, whoa, there's a head coming out of the earth. Oh, what sure, happened yeah, here? Sure. I need to talk to the earth. Yes, surely. you think? Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah. I mean, because we see it getting news coverage and. So, yeah, I, I don't know what they would okay, do sorry. necessarily, but, yeah, I think that they would. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot to go off still. Yeah, there's. that's what I mean. That's what I mean. We're going to have no problem kind of diving deeper into this stuff because, like we said, there's so much. I mean, there's so much in the movie that we did not 
even get to talk about. Like we didn't get to talk about the deviants a ton, and there's a lot there to unpack. Like I, I just I'm excited to kind of come back with a with a little bit more context and dive into what this all means moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. Still been the pleasure of our lifetime to do this podcast for you guys. As we said, check out our website, theffwpodcast.com, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If this thing is really interesting to you, you might want to check out Friends From Work Plus, which is our Patreon, patreon.com slash friendsfromwork. You can get even more content over there, which helps fill in those gaps a little bit more. So thank you guys so much. From the bottom of our hearts, we love you all. We'll see you next time on Friends From Work.